Greetings adventurers, and welcome to Dungeons and Discourse, a discussion podcast where we talk about all things D&D related. I am Carla, and I'm joined today by... Walter. Yes, and the uh, discussion, or the topic of today's episode, is how we got started uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons, be that maybe originally as a player or as a DM. In general, the idea is to uh, kind of show how to get started in general, if you're still a little bit unconscious about it, or what's a good way to introduce new people to the game, so you can immediately have a, a group of people to play with. I wanted to start originally by asking you, Walter, how you got started with uh, D&D. Well, actually, I started off as a dungeon master, because uh, my group of friends, uh, we decided we wanted to play uh, D&D. Uh, a friend of mine heard of it, um, and he suggested it to the group, and there was no one actually with experience or knowledge about the rules. So I took the mantle of DM upon myself. Um, Very noble of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we started off with the starter editions, mm-hmm. just, just online bots. Uh, probably the, st- the point where most people start. Uh, I took a while reading the rules, getting familiar with them. And then I actually uh, started running the game. Looking back on it now, it, it was really clunky and uh, <laughs> combat especially took really long. Yeah, I, I think that's everyone's experience in general, right? Yeah. The first D- D&D game that you won isn't going to be perfect and it's most likely going to be very clunky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I had the advantage that uh, all of the people on my table were friends, uh, knew each yeah. other already, so uh, role-playing was actually quite naturally. I was surprised how well they got, got on so quickly, actually. Um, which made it more easier for me as DM also to try and introduce new things. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. I think mm-hmm. that's something that you tend to underestimate when you're going to start with D&D in general, is that it's uh, a game that, at its core, it's really just roleplay. And that's essentially telling stories. And that's what humans have been doing for generations, right? <laughs> so I think it's a thing that comes very natural to a lot of people, even if they don't realize it, which makes it very easy to kind of get started once you figure out the rules and mm-hmm. well someone to take up the mantle as dungeon master of course which isn't generally something that i'd say does require a bit more effort especially if you're tra- starting out yeah because you always need that um arbiter who guides everyone through combat especially uh yeah knowing at least the basic of the rules yeah exactly yeah um but I was curious, how did you actually get started? Did yeah. you get spa- started as a player or a DM specifically? No, I'm actually, my story is not, not as similar uh, to yours, but I also started out as a dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I took on the mantle myself. I think I was the first one to really uh, get in touch with Dungeons & Dragons. I think the first time I saw it was on uh, some YouTube videos by a YouTuber named Bro Jarrett. I don't know if you heard about him, there was a discussion. Sadly not. A couple years back. It's probably a good thing. Um, but um, that's when I first got in contact with the concept of D&D. And at that point, it was still very foreign to me. But it seemed interesting. Uh, at least the, the stories he told about it seemed ridiculous. Like, it was a game which you could literally do anything. Which, I think, at least it's as close as you can get to it. Uh, as far as role-playing games or yeah, similar things go, right? Um, and then a couple years later, I uh, found... Um, this uh, series run by College Humor, which is a YouTube channel. They started creating this uh, D&D um, 
series uh, called Dimension 20. And that's when I really uh, saw what it was like playing Dungeons & Dragons for the first time. And then I understood what it actually was. And it looked really interesting and really fun. So I figured, hey, I can probably do this myself. I bought some dice. I found some friends to indoctrinate. <laughs> and then I wrote up a really crappy one-shot um, or introduction to what would have been a campaign if I had... Did you, you know, your first creation uh, as a dungeon master was something not pre-written as no, entirely no. yourself? Um, I actually uh, did some reading and I found a lot of people mm -hmm. online yeah. that uh, weren't very in favor of uh, pre-written campaigns uh, because... You can often uh, yeah, force your players to railroad, or um, uh, yeah, just in generally, they're very linear. And what I really wanted to do was to create something myself, because it seemed like a challenge and very interesting. And then also, um, yeah, I was just curious, I was figuring out all of, those, all of the rules of the game, and I figured, well, if I'm going this, this far right, I might as well go the extra mile and just make up something myself. In hindsight, that probably was a bit of a disaster. But it, yeah. it was a fun disaster in the end. Uh, I also, my first campaign, uh, quickly got ended due to scheduling uh, problems. Mm -hmm. But then I started uh, a, a new campaign. Um, mm -hmm. Entirely uh, my own plot, my own world. And that was a mess compared to the first game. Oh yeah, tell me about it. I'm very curious. Yeah. Um, it's It's hard because you uh, uh, have a limited amount of knowledge about monsters mm -hmm. and so creating a plot is kind of difficult yeah. especially if you're getting to know um, the, the stuff in the races uh, how they interact with each other um, like making specific cities where uh, uh, like trading is a big thing and you would have uh, um, a dwarven forge right there and an elven woodworker uh, apart from it mm -hmm. um, and that that whole interaction between the races uh, because humans live for like say 80 years mm -hmm. but elves and dwarves still live yeah nearly closely to a thousand years yeah the difference between that that was really hard getting into scope yeah so that's fair basically i just got that whole aspect out in my yeah, thing. Th that's just, just exactly said, what I would do as well. Yeah, yeah, just said, all right, this country is mainly run by humans and there is some elves over there, but they generally are isolated and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I did something uh, very similar, which is try to reduce the scope uh, of things. Yeah. I think when I first started, I literally just thought about, okay, well, maybe I have a city here and then there's a forest I'll leave my players to later. And then... You know, maybe I'll have some plot hooks. If this is really going to be interesting, then it's good to have those prepared. But if you're going to immediately think out an entire city for your first session, right, mechanically, merchant routes, yeah. all of the different races, that's that's a lot, right? That's, that's, that's a big, well, beginner mistake. But it doesn't have to be a mistake, because no. it can be really interesting. But I think at that point, it's something your players probably won't engage with as much. Yeah. Um, Especially if they're also, well... Newer. Uh, yeah, yeah, newer and learning the ropes. Yeah, definitely. I think that's actually... Because uh, your group ended because of scheduling conflict. Um, mm -hmm. Mine ended on a very different note, I think. Because one of the four players that I had found turned out to not really like D&D. &D. Um, so we immediately had like sessions where three people were 
well, kind of into it. They were still a bit iffy on the rules and they didn't really get how the role playing uh, went down because I'd created some mod characters. Um, but that other player just started doing annoying shit. When he'd get bored, he'd start um, attacking the party because he wanted some conflict. <laughs> and that's very difficult if it's your first game because you can't have a like a property knee game if you have that much hostility like going in in the game, especially within the party. At least not if you're not very experienced, I'd say. So at that point, it became a very difficult thing where we had three people that wanted to keep playing and one person that just really wasn't into it. So eventually we had to cut them off and then the entire thing just kind of fizzled out and they had to start again uh, with a new group. Uh, although most of the people from that original group are still playing now, uh, what they had written at that point just went straight into the garbage bin because we weren't going to touch that campaign again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think in general... Your first D&D campaign can be really good, but uh, I think from each other's experiences, it's most likely going to be neat donkey and probably not going to last all too long. So, in generally, for new players, uh, a little conclusion, or actually new DMs, I meant to say, uh, mm -hmm. just keep the scope small and Definitely. Stick, stick to what you know and what you feel comfortable with. Yeah. And... Make sure your players are into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's like a, a huge part of being a DM, which makes it sound really yeah. scary immediately. But it, it's um, at the heart, right? You're really trying to find fun for your players. Yeah, you have to mm -hmm. tailor their experience. Yeah, that, that doesn't mean you can't have fun yourself as a DM, but you have to do things competently or in a smart way so everyone can keep enjoying the game. Um so there's a lot of pitfalls and things you can stumble over. Yeah. Right, like railroading and power tripping DMs is like something that you want <laughs> to avoid. Uh, you, you need to actively make fun for the other players, which can be a little demanding, I'd say. Uh, in my experience, new players, uh, as, a, as a DM, my experience as a DM, new players are mm -hmm. often very shy to the roleplay aspect. They Definitely. really need to get into it in this uh, different character. And um, how do you deal with that? Because I actually haven't found a way that works for everyone. Sometimes you got just put people on the spot. Yeah. But sometimes with other people, they just fr freeze and do whole, uh, nothing anymore for the whole session. I think it's, it's very difficult. And it's something I struggle with a lot as well. Especially... Now with online play, it gets even more difficult, right? Yes. Uh, I think one of the biggest advantages that you can have is if people know each other prior to the actual D&D campaign. Yes, that's huge. Yeah, because at that point you're already kind of comfortable with each other. Yeah. And role-playing can be a very intimidating thing, right? Because it's in a way it's kind of um, exposing yourself, kind of, right? You're leaving yourself a little bit more exposed. Um, and it's, it's, I, I can see how it's a scary thing. So I think that helps a lot if you're in a more comfortable environment for people that you know. Yeah. And then also, uh, one thing that I also think uh, helps a bit is if you try to uh, not put on too much pressure, right? If someone doesn't want to roleplay, they don't have to. And they can kind of uh, try to do that on their own terms. And maybe they'll try it at some point and think that they're really into it. Yeah. But low pressure is also a, a good rule, I think, in general. Definitely. Low pressure. But you don't have any tips or tricks when it comes to, uh, you know, learning to roleplay or getting people into it? Well, um, 
my first tip would be uh, um, from a play player's perspective, just uh, um, really try out uh, uh, and um, get to know your character, basically. Mm -hmm. um, good example is uh, I have um, uh, used to have Dragonborn. Um, spellcaster that was afraid of fire but he was a red dragonborn <laughs> and he was resistant to fire yes. but it was uh and he he would use uh fire spells as well but mm -hmm. he would be terrified from fire itself yeah even though he was uh, uh well like i said resistant to it uh, uh he was mm -hmm. born with it and he uses it um every time he used a spell like firebolt he would like be afraid from the fire himself and the power that he wields mm -hmm. and that would then in turn maybe create a small roleplay moment yeah yeah that's okay cool yeah that's very interesting to kind of create characters that actively uh like stimulate role-playing or kind of can engage with the yeah. moments I, th I think that's a, some good advice actually yeah uh i think in general there's like a lot of things you can do with character creation that can help stall problems that might appear later down the line mm -hmm. uh, that's why i'm personally a huge fan of session zeros where you just discuss what the game is going to be like everybody knows what the expectation is going to be and you can kind of work out yeah. uh, also work like work people's characters into the story yeah. and give them those little quirks that in, like simulate role play yeah. which is really session cool. zero is for me actually just required um because uh, I, I like to very tailor my experience uh, as a DM for my players. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to incorporate uh, incorporate uh, things from their backstory, um, uh, important characters that the player knows, like a, a brother or something, that mm -hmm. uh, throw them into the mix of the, the whole story and sometimes uh, put them in, well... Uh, let's not say dangerous but difficult situations for them yeah as well morally as just physically dangerous uh, to make it more engaging but also more uh, interesting yeah I, th I think that's yeah that's a fair point just that's kind of like the power of the session zero right so really yeah immediately get the ball rolling because then when play starts you don't have to figure these little things out you mm -hmm. just get to it and also the dynamic between players, because uh, it doesn't have to be a party of strangers that uh, starts an adventure. Yeah, yeah, that's true as well. And Session Zero, um, yeah, you can work out. Uh, uh, fun thing. Um, my first uh, campaign, mm -hmm. I had uh, um, two Dragonborns that were from the same tribe. Um, uh -huh. but they were uh, like this tribe got attacked by humans because that's what they do they take over shit and they build castles yes yeah. they were most likely British weren't they <laughs> <laughs> not especially but okay. I mean <laughs> French but, maybe uh, uh, this tribe got destroyed and uh, people got enslaved and, and stuff and uh, that was nice plot hook um, but also uh they knew each other beforehand and when the party finally joined they were like wait weren't you him 
Oh, I see. And that's that, cool. that's yeah. created a, a, a moment of roleplay immediately, um, even though uh, they were, uh, yeah, uh, both new players. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, I like that, that, that a lot. Kicked off uh, um, something, yeah, really fast, really good. Yeah, yeah, kind of attaching uh, players to each other yeah. through weird bonds. I think I think that's something I'm I'm trying to play with a lot nowadays. Is to kind of um, see how much you can intertwine player characters with each other, or even make them more mistrusting of each other, which is something that I'm. Um, uh, I first discovered when I read through uh, the secrets uh, features in the uh, Robert the Frostmaiden uh, campaign setting. Yeah. You have a, a couple uh, like pages where you have character secrets, mm-hmm. which is a specific uh, feed and sometimes, and then a little bit of a backstory uh, attached to it. That is just supposed to be a character trait or a feature that kind of flashes out a character, uh, but usually they are something dark or. Uh, something that would cause other players to be very mistrusting of them. Yeah. And that kind of creates also some tension in the party, which you can use really well. Like, uh, a nice example, one of the party is a changeling. Yeah, for instance. Yeah. That, 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 that's would, actually one of them. Yeah, that uh, would yeah. turn them upside down, like, immediately. Distrust yeah. uh, goes up for everybody. Like, exactly. And it, it gives that player a reward for kind of creating the tension, because mm-hmm. they get to also use changing features. Um, but then... Uh, also, you you get this like strange party dynamic where if they're hiding a secret, then what other secrets might the other players be hiding, right? It might also like uh, bring them closer eventually. Of course, it, it's a, it's a ticking time bomb, mm-hmm. and it, it will go off. But the the, the damage it might it might actually uh, um, work to bring your party closer. Yeah, exactly. Or. Yeah, most likely just throw them apart and even make them more distrustful. And eventually you have a splitting party on your hands. No, exactly. But but that's where you like start to get the, the bonds in there, right? So maybe they are both a part of the same tribe. And now, four sessions later, they discover that one of them harbors a very dark secret. At that mm-hmm. point, it almost becomes a, a more morally um, difficult dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've already fostered a bond with this person. They clearly care about me. How does my relation to this uh, player character change now that I know that they are, for instance, a werewolf or something like that? Yeah. I think it creates some very interesting dynamics uh, that can also lead to a lot of roleplay. So, yeah, I think the general advice is if you are looking for more roleplay moments, there's a lot you can do with character creation in sessions. In, 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 uh, as seemingly this is our first session, Mm -hmm. um, just... Don't go too dramatic because uh, that's true. Yeah. If if you got like a, a werewolf in the party who actively hunts people at night uh, while the others don't know it, that's just bound for party uh, split up or uh, yeah a, a player character death. Yeah, you do have to be smart about it. Yeah, but that's where like balancing things come in comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Werewolf, it's only a full moon, so it's like every month. In play, you're maybe gonna encounter that once or twice, but when it does happen, immediately all kinds of wacky uh, derailing yeah. is gonna take place. Uh, but that's a good point, especially if you're starting a new. Maybe this is already some feedback that yeah, isn't because you, specifically tailored to new uh, players. Because you have to be careful. Yeah, it's, it's it's very fun if you can put it off well, but that's the thing. If you can put it off well, 
Yeah, you're right. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a yeah. little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's also a, a good uh, point to end this discussion and maybe start a new one and move on to one of our segments. Yeah. I think the idea is very clear, uh, or at least clearer than it might have been before for new DMs or players. Um, yeah, let's introduce our new segment, uh, our first um, very segment, curious. which is Monster of the Week. This is the idea that we've been working with. Um, this is going to be a weekly segment, Monsters of the Week, in which we uh, just take a specific monster or a set of monsters from the monster manual or a different supplement or uh, rule book. And we kind of try to look at all of the features it has, how you would incorporate it into a campaign. And then hopefully, uh, for you guys listening, it might give you some inspiration or even some uh, interesting encounters to run. Yeah. So, set of creatures that I've prepared today uh, are Blights. I'm not sure if you've ever run those or know what they are. They're plants, right? Yes. That, that's exactly why they chose them. I... Uh, why I chose them. Because I think plants are very underrepresented as far as creatures come. So I picked it for the first episode. We'll I... discuss a plant-type creature. I actually know very little of them. I, I know... Um, well, I encountered them in, a, in Jungle once as a player, but I never really used them as DM. Uh, yeah, I, I've used them once. Uh, doing some more research today, I was actually, I covered a lot of interesting things about it that I didn't consider before. Uh, if you want, I can just give you a quick rundown and then we can talk about Hold it. Um, I'm gonna take a look at their intelligence. Are they actually intelligence creatures? Oh, I actually didn't look that up specifically. Usually I, I look what? past intelligence when writing monsters. Or just because I think anyone can be interesting, <laughs> regardless of intelligence. Uh, it looks like they all have a, well... Bad intelligence, so I see minus three um, basically in almost every step block. Okay, that's so, uh, just give me the impression like they're not yeah. really smart monsters, they the, the might way stick it, together. But the way it works is that they are under control of this corrupted tree, it's called a Golfius tree. Oh. So, uh, whilst they aren't intelligent themselves. They kind of serve its purpose in a sort of corrupted way. There's like a whole backstory to the origin of this tree. Essentially, the way it went down is that there's this very strong vampire. Okay. Build a huge tower. And then an adventurer showed up and decided that maybe it wasn't a good idea to have a vampire around. So he killed him with a stake. And then the stake, uh, infused with the vampire's blood, started uh, developing cool. into a sapling. Oh no. Then... An evil druid came by, found the sapling, decided, well, it might be evil and corrupted, but I'm a druid, so I'm going to plant it. And that spawned this uh, Golfius tree. The vampire's name was Golfius, that's why they named that. And this tree started creating seeds, and the blight spawned from these seeds. So the idea behind these blights is that they are now sort of surfing or working with this tree to accomplish the goals that the uh, evildoer that the tree originated from would have wanted to, to accomplish. Really? Yeah. So a group of blights might target some foes that that evildoer had like ages past. Or maybe they'll try to finish the evil plans that the actual vampire or lich could never accomplish. Is, is this the only way like blights are created through this um, tree? Yeah, I believe that's what the lore says. I mean, there's so much homebrew in D&D, right? You can do whatever you want with it because yeah. there's not a lot of plant creatures. But that's the main idea behind it, that uh, there's a tree and blights are controlled by it. 
And what they do is they start infesting forests. So they start uprooting unhealthy plants. They start spreading weeds and stuff. And eventually they'll start over entire towns. Uh, start taking over entire towns. So they they become this very like um, quickly spreading corruption uh, thing almost. That all starts with this evil tree, uh, which I think can already start out a lot of shenanigans uh, if you're trying to write plot hooks, right? Uh, one of the ideas that I thought about was say your players take down the BBEG, mm-hmm. right? The ultimate uh, evil doer in your campaign. Oh, Maybe five years later, there's all of a sudden just this tree there and maybe the plants are revived by this group of plants that is now organizing and trying to accomplish them again. A group of plants that is finishing a mastermind. Uh, BBEG's plan. It's, yeah. it's just mind-blowing. Oh, exactly. So already, although they seem very simple, like just from the surface, they're just some evil plants. And they're very spooky. Oh no. But actually, they can like work together and start accomplishing grand evil uh, designs, which I think is really cool. Um... But yeah, I, I generally also try to think about how to like build them into encounters. And I ran an encounter with them as well. But just what are your current thoughts? I'm kind of curious. Um, my current thoughts are like... Uh, um, just just blights themselves, like the, the, the monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, did they give me a similar vibe as zombies? Uh, you know, these uh, very low intelligence uh, minions that you send out to go do something mm-hmm. that are controlled mostly uh, by some higher up power. Yeah, that's like pretty fair. Yeah. Um, but they actively also destroy and corrupt nature. Yeah, to they, they kind of feed of that corruption, they so they keep spreading it. Make a colony bigger. Do, do they have it, it's hive not, mines? Are they? It, it's not too specific on that. Mm-hmm. It, I think that's on purpose, right? So you can kind of give yeah, your own spin yeah. on it. That's what they do a lot in these monster manuals. Mm-hmm. Is to keep a lot of things open for interpretation, because that's where you can kind of create your own stories. The thing I do see, they speak common. No, that's just one of them. Oh, uh, but it's actually the rest. Oh, ah, yeah, now I see. Understands common, but can't speak the rest. Yeah, the, the idea is that uh, there's like one of the three uh, blights that are in the monster manual. Mm-hmm. Is that they can speak, but usually it's just these weird murmurs or combinations of uh, words or sentences that the original uh, person that created the tree would have said. Oh. So they speak in these really weird, creepy, distorted voices. Um, but yeah, generally, uh, they are better suited as minions. Of course, if you look at their CR, they're like one-eighth, one-fourth, and a half. But then you can also see them as more of a horde-type enemy. Because mm-hmm. it's a tree that keeps spawning them, so there's bound to be a lot. And I think that's also how you're supposed to run them a bit. Uh, I don't know if it's wise already start talking about the stat blocks uh, or not. But no, sure, go. I, I feel like the three uh, blights that we have here all have very unique roles. At the lowest tier, you have a 1 and 8 Twig Blight. Yeah. These guys have 4 HP. They're very weak. But they have a very special property, uh, which is False Appearance. That means that they can just stand somewhere, pretend to be a tree, and then your players virtually have no way of figuring out that they're a Blight. And that allows them to set up ambushes. So say your players enter a forest, all of a sudden the trees start moving around, they're trapped by these Twig Blights. And whilst they only do 1d4 damage and gain too much, they can assist the other blights by imposing disadvantage on players or giving advantage to attacking blights. 
So they're more yeah. of like utility type creatures. At least that's how I incorporate them, looking at our stats. One time I had an encounter mm -hmm. um, with like a lot of undead uh, against a group of level four or five characters. Uh, so I had a, a lot of zombies just dogpiling on them, yeah. grappling and just uh, uh, pinning them, uh, throwing them to the ground and just yeah, piling exactly. them up. And there was one uh, uh, like ghoul or uh, will-o'-wisp that was actually just doing the damage. Mm -hmm. And they had... I so underestimated their capabilities that yeah. I just had to fudge some rolls as not Ooh. to get a party wipe. <laughs> but that was actually... I underestimated the power lower uh, yeah. level uh, stat blocks actually can contribute yeah i think that's something that you don't appreciate when you start out right away that um monsters don't just attack right they can also take very unique turns and trying to disrupt players in different ways which is exactly what i think these creatures are very well suited for so if you're generally trying to come up with a, a more multi-dimensional or more interesting encounter you can take a combination of these blights and do some more interesting things that players wouldn't expect, right? For instance, imposing disadvantage or getting advantage to attackers is something that I personally don't incorporate enough, uh, or a lot. And these guys are exactly allow you to do just that. Yeah. Um, but that's only the first. There's, there's two more blights here. Oh, yeah. That, that's also uh, uh, like getting into already uh, combat with experienced players, most likely. That's fair. Yeah. That's true. So, um, for normal players, it's probably just wise to throw uh, um, a couple, of, just a couple of monsters and uh, um, around the CR that they can handle. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Just to keep it simple. <laughs> I don't think, uh, once again, a bit of an oversight on my part, I didn't pick the most player, new player friendly no, 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 But I, I, I um, like that we're going into this, yeah. but I'm just saying because uh, um, this is an episode that's also uh, like talking about new players as yeah. well that they don't get in over their head but I, I really like this monster yeah it's cool right yeah this whole idea that this tree is just spawning corruption and growing and it's created from like originally a vampire but it could be from any evil yeah, person that... That, that's what it states it, it just has to be like a, a powerful being that can yeah. like corrupt things so it could virtually be anything um i mean you know a zombie like cr what is it one fourth probably wouldn't create one of these trees yeah. but, but <laughs> you you can throw a, a nice spin to it if, if it's uh, like a sapling that's grown out of a, a demon or something then you can give the the blights uh and, uh, resistance to fire or something exactly yeah. I, I think you can tailor them that's what it's very well suited yeah. for you yeah. can tailor it a lot you can uh, really alter it in many interesting ways because of that lore that's kind of in the background I really did not know they're yeah. such interesting characters yeah I know it's it's, it's strange because you they're like all the way at the front of the monster manual but you just go past them you just think oh they're just some bland people cool man where are the beholders at yeah um, exactly <laughs> yeah um but no, they actually have a lot of cool mechanics behind them, I think. Yeah. And th that's just a twig blight we just discussed, right? But there's two other ones. There's a needle blight, which is, uh, isn't is all that unique, but it has a ranged attack. So they can just harass players from a distance and be a nuisance. Kind of puts fighter cards in this dilemma. Are we going to go out to the back lines of the enemies, try to take out these ranged attackers? 
uh, exposing our mages or rangers that are still in our backlines? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to accept this poke and harass, uh, knowing that they will probably whittle us down at some point? Yeah, because if you're fighting in forest and your uh, frontline goes away from your mage, suddenly you have these four trees that start moving around yeah, your mage, exactly. will also just appear to be blights. Yeah, exactly. That 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 that's why I think they're such cool creatures. Yeah, they're very good at um, setting at ambushes and uh, kind of having your players interact with them in, in weird ways that they wouldn't expect at first. Yeah, because you know, once those trees actually do start moving around your wizards, that's a situation they probably haven't found themselves in a lot of times. So they gotta be yeah. thinking on their feet and uh, trying to solve these new issues that, that you're kind of creating for them. Uh, the spells, shield, and misty steps come in, but. We'll discuss that in a different <laughs> time. Yeah, fair, fair. But if you don't expect it, th these things can, like, screw over a lot of parties. Yeah, definitely. And and even if you do have uh, mobile or more defensive spellcasters, that's mm -hmm. kind of where the third blight comes in, the fine blight, cool. which is slower. It only has 20 feet movement, but it has an attack that can grapple people, so you can stop your fighters from moving at all, protecting the backline. And it has a basically stronger version of the Entangle spell as an innate ability. Uh, or I guess it's like one of those ones that refreshes if you roll a 5 or a 6 on a dice. Hmm. Um, and that means that you can root people and kind of have them be forced to stay in this blight mosh pit that you're actively trying to create around them. <laughs> so it's very interesting how each blight is like their own rule and together they set up this really interesting encounter. Yeah. There's actually one more blight as well. That's in the Curse of Strat. That's a tree blight, but it's a CR7 creature, oh. and it's way too strong is if you compare it to these ones. Is, is that the actual tree? No, no, no. That's not the actual tree. Uh, there's no actual stat block for the Golfias tree that spawns the blight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's also up to DM interpretation. Yeah. Which um, yeah, I, I also didn't look at the tree blight too much because I figured we'll just keep it to the monster manual for now, uh, and. I'm also kind of interested in building Curse of Strat at some point, so I don't <laughs> want to spoil too much already. All right. All right. Um, although that's probably like years in the future, knowing me and yeah. how disorganized I run my campaigns. <laughs> I did hear, hear good things about Curse of Strat. I, I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah. And I think, uh, in general, I like to stick with more gothic, uh, kind of deep and depressing, somber atmospheres. And I think that's yeah. definitely one of the more... That's going uh, back uh, at what you said, you like to give... Be, uh, your players this mistrustful at each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's even bad advice that I just really like about D D. Just creating no, no, no. moral quandaries. This is, this is a good example. Just uh, like make something you enjoy making. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Your it's it's like the dark uh, horror, maybe. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if I would call it horror, but no. maybe it's. Um, it comes close at times, I don't know. Probably you'd know that better as a player, what it actually feels like playing. Maybe it's more desperate. Yeah. Desperate situations. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Which, uh, I, as your player in a couple of situations, they can be really memorable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also like the general idea, mm -hmm. is that if you create something that you actively enjoy, that you think is really cool. Yeah. There's gonna be people that enjoy that and appreciate it as well. Yeah. So when I think, oh, this is a really cool desperate situation, um, if, in this case, that's you that really enjoys it, but you're probably gonna find someone that's really into it. 
So yeah. uh, that's a good point you made earlier. Yeah. For, Just for stick me, to works, what you like yeah. as a DM. Yeah. Yeah, actually, really, I'm really curious about what your like DM style is because I've never actually played in one of your Ooh. sessions or campaigns. Um, preferably, I get, uh, I um, don't have a specific uh, style. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like uh, making interesting NPCs with uh, uh, like building uh, uh, relationships between. Oh. Uh, not not relationships. No, but I mean role play wise. Role play yeah, wise yeah. Uh, between the party and NPCs, and oh, what if cool. this their favorite merchant is uh, like on the verge of bankruptcy, or <laughs> I don't know, their quest giver? Um, how far would they go? That's interesting. So you're, you're to, putting a lot of social uh, things in your campaign. Yeah. At least that's what I'm getting yeah. from what you just described. And uh, I, I like to create uh, uh, to have NPCs bond with characters. Yeah, that's cool. That's in generally also where a lot of powerful moments come from. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I really want to play one of your campaigns. <laughs> Goddamn, <laughs> you will, you will. <laughs> but maybe we should stick to the topic at hand, blinds. Yeah, uh, or not? If we can have a more uh, interesting conversation, of course. Um, I. Um, actually did um, go back to that session that I ran that had blights. I can mm-hmm. kind of describe the encounter and setup if that interests you. Um, or if you have any more thoughts you'd like to share, that's of course also welcome. In general, I think this is still figuring out what this segment is, right? Monster of the Week. So I don't know what's the most useful thing we can now do with this information about blights. <laughs> um, so, so like a general description, uh, where do they come from? What situation? Uh, where can you use them? Yeah. I think that's what we did, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I don't know if there's any more bases we should have covered. Um, not really, no. I, I think we covered Blights pretty much, except for the CR7 Dwight, uh, the Blight, but that's, yeah. that's an another story. I also did see some more. I, see, I saw like... Um, oh, no, those weren't Blights, actually. I did some more research even, looking into some more plant uh, creatures. Mm. Uh, because what I did when I actually ran them in uh, my campaign, is I uh, didn't want to add that CR7 Tree Blight, because that is just insane for a level 3 party. But uh, I decided to put in Awakened Trees instead, and just say, oh, these can be Blights as well. You don't even have to change all that Mm -hmm. much about the stat block. You can really just give them the false appearance trait, and then they're already plants. I mean, if the the Blights is big enough to corruption you might even throw in uh, a tree and that has been corrupted cr9 so that's even worse than yeah the uh, yeah fair but, um, but, but yeah maybe it's uh, because it's corrupted it's broken down and it lo- loses half its hp and strength yeah. or something but that's essentially what i want to do with the awakened tree step block because yeah. it's a cr2 step block so essentially it is already a nerfed treat or uh, yeah. treat with less of a threat and i did something very mean in that campaign actually because i had them encounter a tree early on so the second i started putting those walking trees in there they were like already having flashbacks and going like oh we got to get the hell out of here um <laughs> but the wagon tree is just a cr2 creature i'd say it's relatively strong as far as cr2 creatures go because it's huge and it does a lot of damage with a slam attack um does, but it's, does it move yeah it moves it's a wagon tree so whenever you i guess it's like an awakened spell you can cast um, you have like plants that like are alive kind of I didn't do that much research, <laughs> let's be honest here. But it, 
do you know uh, by uh, by heart um, what the movement speed of this awakened tree is? I think it's, I believe it's thirty. Maybe thirty. Yeah, it's thirty. Yeah. So it actually has the potential to, uh, or uh, actually doesn't really have the big potential of getting kited because you have a lot of big monsters that have uh, like a movement speed or twenty or lower even yeah. like you can perhaps just uh, uh, outrun basically yeah I, I think uh, well still if a player is gonna dash right that tree is still gonna have a, or that awakened tree is still gonna have a hard time catching up because yeah. it's just matching for the movement speed with for the movement speed and it just takes one mobile feed or a similar speed bonus to already outrun it yeah um, but I think in, in general um they can still be very disruptive because if you put a, uh, an awakened tree behind your players, they still are gonna have to walk around it. Uh, actually, no, they can just walk past it because it's huge. But still, they're gonna have to like deal with its opportunity attacks and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so I think they can still be very disruptive. Uh, and also, um, because it's huge, it huge, it can carry other blights, so you can kind of give it different attacks oh. in that way. So say one of these fine blights climbs on top of that awakened tree. All of a sudden, that awakened tree is an ally that can entangle your enemies or your players, not enemies. <laughs> and you have a couple of what were they? Twig blights. Yeah, they can the like ones that up in its uh, branches just shooting. That's those are the needle blights. Yeah, yeah. Needle blights. Ex excuse me. Yeah, and then the, the twig blights can just jump on players and just arrest them and annoy them. So <laughs> oh god! You can almost create like this huge tree-based metal <laughs> fort with all kind of weird blights on it. I think you just did. I actually did do that. Yeah, <laughs> I had like um, well, the way the encounter was set up is that they had to uh, get some supplies from a cart that was overrun by these blights. They didn't notice in advance. Uh, so essentially, they walked into this ambush. They had to get that stuff out of the cart and get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, because there were going to be like four awakened trees, which is in combined to CR8, which is way too much. Yeah. And then I added some more needle blights and stuff. So it was designed to be an encounter that they couldn't overcome with brute force. They had to just get out of there and make choices. Uh, which supplies are we going to save from this cart and which are we going to leave behind so we can outrun the trees. Um, awakened trees. Yeah. Um, but yeah, eventually there were like awakened trees that were like carrying these twig blights that started like jumping off and stuff. So I, there's just a lot of that's, cool things you can do with that, these creatures. That's terrifying. Yeah. I wouldn't want to fight that. Especially if you're a player and you think all those awakened trees are actually CR9 trees. Because <laughs> I put them in the campaign earlier. Um, that was a very evil thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a really cool encounter and no players died. So they managed it in the end. Alright, now players died. I no, guess. no, 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 no. That's kind of winning in D&D. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes if they do something stupid, they deserve to die, right? That's also a part of D&D. Actions should have consequences. But once again, that's probably a different uh, episode topic. Yeah. Getting your players is also not something we should tell new uh, DMs. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that covers this segment then. Uh, yeah. Unless you had something to add. Know how we are time wise, we might want to jump into a next segment. Oh, never mind, we've been mm -hmm. rambling for 45 minutes. Yeah, okay, so we should probably start wrapping up. 
Um, we, we really liked Blights. Yeah, uh, Blights are great. I think, hey, if you're a new player, the CR is low. You don't have to do all the complicated stuff we just discussed. But if you do yeah. want some cool creatures, go with Blights. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we basically spelled out an encounter for you. So do with that what you will. Um, any final thoughts before we close off the episode? Uh, for new DMs, uh, stick to what you like. Um, prepare. And just get to know the rules, the, 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 at least the basics, but the more you know, the better. Uh, so you can, well, uh, inform your players and, um, but, but don't take this as a, a, like final advice because you're also the DM. You can change the rules if you want to. Yeah, definitely. But whatever you do, um, do discuss it with your players. If you do uh, change of rules, yeah, I, I think that's probably the most powerful statement. Yeah. Session you, session zero, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very important. No, no I, I think what you said earlier actually, session zero, obviously that one's king. Do one of those, yeah. But I, I think the idea of just what you said, just do what you like, and it'll work. I think that's yeah the great ending note, right? If you're thinking about starting with Dungeons Dragons. Um, getting some new players into the game just stick with what you like and if it appeals to them they're going to come back and play more games with you it's as simple as that and specifically for players any advice Ooh, new players uh if you're a new player try not to be the dm because then you have a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> no i think um i think in general if you're a new player um respect what the dm is doing right they obviously yeah. took a lot of time to think of something cool they have something they're very passionate about and want to share with you, which is Dungeons and Dragons. So, yeah, just try to engage with it. But also be honest. If you don't like it, uh, don't try to force yourself to do anything or, um, you know, try to DM to change things that he probably, you know, would want to keep the same because the majority of people do actually like that. Uh, and generally, just try to have a good grasp on what you like what you don't like as a, as a player because you don't want to stick around in the campaign that you don't actively uh, like and then unconsciously be making it worse. Um, no D&D is better than bad D&D. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Um, yeah, so I think that's good player advice. Uh, appreciate what your DM is doing. And mm -hmm. just be honest, if you're not into things, I mean, then don't do them, right? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Great. Um, Thank you for hosting. I've enjoyed this tremendously. Yeah, it's been a blast. I hope the uh, listeners enjoyed it. They can let us know. In, um, well, where can they let us know? There's probably some comment sections on whatever platform we're going to upload this. So yeah. any feedback you want to correct us? Um, well, don't. But if you actually do have to, <laughs> uh, go ahead. Feel free. Um, yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good one.